I'd like to have you turn with me tonight to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke is different from the other Gospels. Um, Luke was a doctor. We'd know he was a doctor even though the Bible didn't tell us he was, although the Apostle Apostle Paul calls him a beloved physician. I'd know that he was a doctor because he tells a story about a woman who was sick for 12 years and she spent all that she had on many physicians, period. But Mark is not a doctor, and so he blurts out the whole story. And he said the woman was sick for 12 years and she spent all that she had and was none bettered, but rather grew worse. She had been to all the doctors and clinics and everything and all the uh, osteopaths, but all these paths will lead you to the grave. And uh, but, but the chances are that Luke had talked to Mary and talked to Zechariah and talked to Elizabeth. And uh, Luke is the gospel of the Son of Man. The expression Son of Man is found 84 times in the New Testament, never in the writings of Paul. The expression Son of Man always has to do with the Lord Jesus' authority over this earth. He said, the, uh, the, spoke about being the Sabbath. He said he was Lord of the Sabbath because he was the Son of Man. He said the Father judgeth no man. He has committed all judgment unto the Son, for he is the Son of Man. But six times in the Gospel of Luke, we have, um, we have the Lord Jesus bowed in prayer. He is bowing before the throne that he left when he came from heaven. And uh, I have your, you have your Bible open, I hope, to chapter 18. And um, let's see, I was on 19, I better get back to 18. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, you're going to meet problems in this life, whether you like it or not. And there are two ways of handling these problems. Either you can faint if you try to do it yourself. I've only fainted one time. But when you faint, you usually fall back. But he said, don't faint, but pray. And um, I wasn't supposed to be looking, but uh, when you were having prayer a little bit ago, I noticed that as soon as they started to pray, you bowed your Why did you bow your head? You wanted every thought he had brought into the captivity to the mind of Christ. So you bow your head. Now, men owe it always to pray, but not to faint. Now, let me read this parable. This parable is not... A one of comparison, but rather of contrast, is the story. Let me read it, and then we'll go back to it a minute. There was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now this man is called an unjust judge. Is God unjust? Of course not. Uh, This judge was unsympathetic. 
Is God unsympathetic? No. I say this is a, a parable not of comparison but of contrast. And then this judge was unwilling. Is God unwilling? No, he wants us to come more often. Then this woman was unknown to him. Are you unknown? No, he knows you. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, and everything you've ever said. Then she was uninvited. Are you uninvited? No, you can come to him anytime you want to. In the middle of the night you can come. And I'm sure you do that when you can't sleep in the night. And you can go into the holiest of all anytime you want. And then James speaks about the prayer of faith. That's what I'd like to talk about tonight. I'm going to ask a question, but I already know the answer. How many here, and you don't need to raise your hand unless you want to, really and truly believe in prayer? I say I know the answer. I know you believe in prayer. You would say, I couldn't live without it. It's the key of the morning. It's the bolt of the night. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I lift my heart to God. I'll guarantee there's a good size crowd in this group that pray as soon as they wake up in the morning. Then before you, when you put your head on the pillow at night and you're going to sleep, you have a little word of prayer again. Uh, the Bible is full of prayers. Abraham, our great father Abraham, um, was great in prayer. Uh, whenever I've gone to Israel, I've taken our people down to Mamre, and it was at Mamre where Abraham living in that tent. And God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but I can't do it until, first of all, I talk it over with my friend. And you remember how Abraham uh, was a friend of God. He's the first one in the Bible who's called a friend of God. Uh, you don't find that in Genesis. You'll find that in Second Chronicles, that he's called the friend of God. And then there's Moses. Moses, who left the camp on two occasions and went up to the top of Mount Sinai. I've been up there once. I could never make it again. It wasn't too bad going up, but it was bad coming down because of all those rocks that you have to step from one to another. But he left the camp twice and went up and spent that time in the presence of God. And then Nehemiah was another one. Nehemiah was a long way from home, and he had a job. His job was to bring a cup of wine to the king in the morning. I don't know what in the world he wanted wine in the morning for or at any time as far as that's concerned. But he brought the wine, and the, uh, and the king looked at Nehemiah and said, You don't look so hot today. Now, that's a reverse translation, but that's what he said. You don't look so hot today. What's your problem? And he said, I prayed to God. I lifted my heart, and immediately he had an answer. And he said, my city is lying in ruins. And then, of course, we uh, read of Daniel. Three times a day he'd raise his window and look toward Jerusalem while they were plotting his murder down there in the street. That was the habit of his life. It would have been wrong for him to be doing it if it hadn't been the habit of his life because they had uh, had the decree that anyone that prayed to any other god than the god of Babylon, they'd make their head shorter. But he was used to it. He was used to praying three times a day, and so he did that. And then, of course, there's Elijah. Elijah is spoken of as a man although Elijah was made of the same rotten stuff that you and I are made of. And yet Elijah could pray. He prayed once that it might not rain for over three years. 
Then he prayed again, and it started raining again. I think you need him around here about this time of the year. But anyway, uh, then there's Jonah. I mentioned, I think, this morning that I feel that Jonah is the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament as far as results are concerned, because the rest of the prophets didn't have much to show for their work, but he did. He went to Nineveh. And he had, I don't blame him for not wanting to go to Nineveh the first time because they used to put him into the ground and just the head sticking out and they'd come along with their horses and the sword and they'd clip the head off the shoulders. So he didn't want to go there, but uh, he finally was picked up by a great fish and there were two prayers that he prayed, one while he was alive and one after he died. And uh, those prayers went right up through the seaweed and right through the Mediterranean Sea, right to the throne of God. And then there was David. And I think we all love David. I hope you do. But anyway, David, when the lights had gone out in the city and everybody else, and he would be lying on his uh, cot or his bed, and he was communing with God. And the Lord Jesus could never have lived the life that he did had it not been for the fact of his prayer life. And the night before, he chose the twelve. He spent all night in prayer. But I'd ask you another question. And uh, I know that you wouldn't answer this. You wouldn't tell me because you have a special place. Where do you pray? You say, well, I won't tell you, because, but uh, some of you have a special chair that uh, when the, your kids have gone to school and daddy's gone to work and you go by that chair and you kneel down, I don't know where you pray. John Wesley used to pray on horseback. He would preach in the villages, and then as he was going from one village to another, he would pray and spend that time in prayer. General Gordon used to take, uh, he was the hero of Khartoum in the Sudan, and he would take his handkerchief, and he would tie it on on his tent, and as the soldiers would go by, they would say, Gordon is praying. And David Livingston, when I go to Africa the next time, I'm going into Livingston area. And David Livingston had a servant by the name of Susie. And uh, Susie went by one day and he looked in and he saw Livingston on his knees. And he went away. He said, my master is praying. Came back and he looked in. And he was still on his knees. And he said, my master is still praying. And he went away and came back and looked in and saw Livingston still on his knees. But while he was in prayer, God said, it's nearer to my home than it is to yours. Why don't you come home with me? And Livingston went to heaven while on his knees and praying. Now, in the Bible, um, some stood. I read, lifting up holy hands. I think I've seen some of you do that. Have you ever... Do you really know why you lift your hands without wrath and doubting? It means you're saying you don't have anything against anybody else and you don't have any doubt toward the things of God. But some stood while they prayed. And then um, there were some that bowed their knees when they prayed. The Apostle Paul said, For this cause bow I my knee unto him. And some, Solomon was one, that would lie down when they prayed. Uh, one of the first Bible conferences I ever attended was Maranatha in Michigan. And I was with Billy Graham, one of the speakers, and Franklin Logsdon was the other one. And after the meeting, we thought we'd go out and uh, have a time of prayer. 
So I had, I didn't have blue jeans on. I didn't have a safari suit on. I had a good suit on, so I took my handkerchief out and I put it in, so I kneeled in my handkerchief. And I think Franklin Logsdon did the same thing. And then I heard somebody praying and I kind of looked and I saw Billy Graham lying on his face in the ground with his face into the ground. I should have been doing that. But he, with that, uh, he was lying down and with his face into the ground as he was praying. We close our eyes. We want to shut out the seen world that we might see the unseen world. Now, I've asked you how many believe in prayer, and I know that you do. Now I'll ask another question. How many here really and truly believe that God answers prayer? Oh, let me add, add to that, that he always answers prayer. I mean that God always answers prayer. That's what I want to talk about tonight. There are four ways, I believe, that God answers prayer. There can be a direct answer to prayer. And I know that uh, we have some here tonight that know exactly what I'm talking about. Before you ever prayed, God had sent the answer. Have you ever had an experience like that? You read about that in the Bible about those that did it. But I'm thinking about Simon Peter. And he was in prison in the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, and he was sound asleep. They'd already killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. There's only one verse. I don't know what they did with him, where he was buried. I know that his mother had asked that uh, John and James might be on one side and on the other side in his kingdom. But she, his mother's name was Salome, and she was at the cross. But who did she see on one side and the other? Two thieves. But James was beheaded by Herod. And I say, we don't know what they did with him, where he was buried or anything of the kind. And they were going to kill Peter the next morning. But Peter was sound asleep in prison when they were going to kill him the next day. Peter was a great sleeper. I mean, he never took a sleeping tablet. But he slept on the Mount of Transfiguration. He slept in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sleeps now in jail, sound asleep. Uh, and sound sleepers don't like to be disturbed. Uh, I'm one of them. If you see me sleeping, for pity's sake, don't bother me because I wake up mean. <laughs> and he was sound asleep. And there was a prayer meeting going on in John Mark's mother's house up on Mount Zion. I'm sure that the group that's over there in Israel right now have been up there in Mount Zion. And there was a prayer meeting in John Mark's mother's house. And they were saying, oh, we've just lost James. Oh, God, don't let Peter be killed. And as they were praying, in answer to prayer, God sent an angel. I don't know whether you believe in angels or not, but I do. And God sent an angel. And I don't like to accuse angels of uh, kicking anybody, but I think that's the way, I think that's what the angel did to wake Peter up. He uh, kicked him and Peter woke up. He said, get up and stand on your feet. And when he did that, the chains fell off and he said, get those grave clothes off and, um, and uh, put on your own clothes and follow me. And they got to the gate and the gate opened and he went out and he looked at his watch. He says, at two o'clock in the morning, I'll bet the nightclubs are still going on. And uh, no, he said, I'll bet there's a prayer meeting going on somewhere. 
So he went up to John Mark's mother's house. You remember reading this story in Acts chapter 12. And he rapped on the door, and they were still praying. But God had already answered their prayer. And a little girl by the name of Rhoda went to the door and looked out and saw him and went in and said, Get up off your knees. Uh, God has answered your prayer. Peter is standing at the door. And they said, It's his ghost. They didn't really believe that God answered the prayer. It's his ghost. And they went, but God had answered prayer and had done that, a direct answer to prayer. But God doesn't always answer prayer like that. There can be a different answer to prayer. Incidentally, aren't you glad that God hasn't answered all your prayers? Can you imagine who you might be married to at this right now had God answered your prayer? Because when you were a teenage gal and you saw that boy and uh, you thought he was the best thing that ever happened and you prayed and you said, I know he's the one for me. And you prayed and you asked God for him. But you saw him two weeks ago with his store teeth and a bald head and wearing a rainbow tie, you know, with a pot at the bottom. And, um, and um, so you said, I'm sure glad that God didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted him to answer my prayer. And we have that in the Bible. We have this man, Elijah, and Elijah knew how to pray. But he had gone out of Beersheba, and he said, I'm no better than my father's. I don't know who in the world ever said he was. But he said, I'm no better than my father's. I want to leave this scene, and I want to go to heaven. Did God answer his prayer? Sure. But different than he ever thought that he could ever do it. And Elijah went to heaven like no one else has ever gone to heaven. He went to heaven in a whirlwind accompanied by a chariot of fire. And there was a different answer to prayer. And God may answer your prayer. Because most of us, we just don't know how to pray or what is best for us. But we're told that men ought always to pray, but for pity's sake, don't faint. So there can be a direct answer to prayer, and there can be a different answer to prayer. Um... And there can be also a delayed answer to prayer. I used to go to Norfolk, Virginia quite often to be with a friend of mine, John Dunlap. And uh, I got off the plane, I went, and he was standing at the gate there, and his brow was all wrinkled up, and I said, John, what in the world is wrong with you today? He said, I'm going to tell you my problem. I'm in a hurry, and God ain't. (laughs) There can be a delayed answer to prayer. We have the same thing with Moses. You recall that when Moses had prayed, you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 25 and verse 26. And when Moses prayed to God and he said, let me please get into the land. Let me see that good land. Did he get in? Did God answer his prayer? Did he get into the land? You're afraid of me, aren't you? He got into the land 1,500 years later on the Mount of Transfiguration. So don't get disturbed if he doesn't answer yours by Tuesday. (laughs) He prayed, but it took 15 years, 150 years. And then there's Zechariah. While we're in Luke, let's turn back, if you don't mind, to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This is very, very interesting. 
and we are introduced to a man there by, by the name of Zacharias. The names, all the names in the Bible mean something, as you know. And Zacharias means God remembers. And his wife's name was Elizabeth. And the name Elizabeth means the God who swears seven times. The wife of the first high priest in the Old Testament was Elisheva, which is Elizabeth in the New Testament. That was Aaron's wife. And it means a faithful God and the God who swears seven times. But uh, let's just take a look, at, if you don't mind, at uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. I imagine they hadn't prayed for a child in 40 years. But the angel come and said, Fear not, Zacharias. I told you the word Zacharias means God remembers. Elizabeth is going to have a child. Had God answered their prayer when they prayed for a child 40 years before, John the Baptist could never have been the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. But when you move down, Zechariah 18, uh, verse 18, Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Here you have a delayed answer to prayer. Um, It happened in Britain, and it was, uh, there were two boys, and coming up to Christmas, and one of the boys said, uh, asked their daddy, said, you know what I'd like for Christmas? I'd like a kite. I'd like a kite for Christmas. And the other boy said, I'd like a watch for Christmas. And they usually have their Christmas Eve, not Christmas night, but Christmas Eve. And they opened their presents, and the two boys went to their room, and um, the first boy said, we've got a good daddy, but he doesn't give us what we want. I asked him for a kite, but he didn't bring me a kite. And he said, the other boy said, I asked him for a watch, but I didn't get a watch. But the time went by, and daddy came home from work. It was getting about the 1st of May, and a long package and a ball of string, and here was a kite. He, the father knew that uh, December would not be the time in Britain to be flying a kite. And he also knew that a boy about 10, 12 years of age shouldn't be given a good expensive watch because the first thing he'd do would be getting out his knife and opening up the back and see what made the thing tick. (laughs) But he did bring the kite at the right time. And when the other boy was 21, his father came back and handed him a little package. And he opened it up, and here was a nice wristwatch that was going to be his friend for the rest of his life. And he opened it up, and there it was. He knew when to do it. There can be the direct answer to prayer. There can be the different answer to prayer. There can be the delayed answer to prayer. And there can also be the denied answer to prayer. God can say yes. He can say, wait, he shall give you something else that will be better than what you asked for, but he can also say no. Don't tell me that the Apostle Paul didn't know anything about prayer, because he did. And um, he prayed because I mentioned, think, this morning, about he had the thorn in the flesh. I'm not exactly sure who it was. I think maybe it was his wife. But anyway, um, he asked that... Um, 
God might deliver him from that thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times that that thorn in the flesh might be removed. And God said, no, but I'll give you something better. My grace will be sufficient for you. And so we ought to pray. Men ought always to pray, but don't faint. Don't fall away from God. Fall toward God. And he can answer your prayer immediately if that's the way he wants to do it. Or he can give you a different answer to prayer. As I said earlier, you're glad that God didn't answer some of the prayers you prayed when you were younger, say, when you were in your teens or even since then. But uh, then there can be also a delayed answer to prayer. We can pray now, but in the good time, God will answer that prayer. Or there can be a denied answer to prayer. He can say yes. He can say wait. He can say I'll give you something else. But he can also say no. But men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I hope that you'll go home and read this parable of Luke chapter 18. It's not a parable of contra, of comparison, but a parable of contrast as uh, he tells about the unjust judge and how we should come to God who is not unjust and desires us to come any time we want to come. Well, thank you for the privilege of here. How many remember John Wesley White? Uh, he's been here in preaching. In fact, he was supposed to be here next Sunday night. Did you know that about two weeks ago, John Wesley White preached for an hour in Tennessee, and then they had a reception afterward, and then he went over to the Holiday Inn and had a massive stroke. Uh, the reason I'm telling you this, I know that some of you remember John. I don't think there is any evangelist in the Billy Graham Association like John Wesley White. He went to Moody Bible Institute. He went to Wheaton College. He got a Ph.D. from Belfast. He got a DPhil from Oxford. And um, uh, as Alan Emery, one of the members of our board, said, if you were to cut him open, you'd find evangelism written on his heart. I've been calling him every day. He's at Mayo Clinic in the St. Uh, Mary's Hospital. He can't talk. He can laugh. And he can sing. But he can't talk. And so uh, they're thinking of this week of flying him back home to Toronto at uh, uh Queen Elizabeth Hospital up there, but um, I know that they would appreciate it. You would pray for John Wesley White. I, I, I don't know of anybody that's ever had a massive stroke that ever got over it completely. Right now, he can't talk. He, I, I, I call him about every afternoon and, um, and talk with him, and he laughs, and uh, he grunts, and he knows that I'm talking to him. And um, so John Wesley White was supposed to be here next Sunday. But um, you're going to have a, another speaker, a very delightful speaker, Ross Rhodes. And I think that you'll really enjoy his ministry. But I'm grateful that I've been privileged to be here with you. And I'd like to thank you for your kindness to me. And um, I'm almost envious of uh, uh, the crowd that's over in Israel because a rebirth, a reborn Israel is the greatest event that has happened in our lifetime. We have, we, uh, there's no country in the world that has as many birth certificates as does the uh, nation of Israel. I don't know how many we've had, uh, but uh, they have had at least four birth certificates. And I hope that, um, that you pray 
for the nation of Israel, especially this week when they have their election. And um, Israel, the fourfold miracle of Israel, I'd like to say, first of all, there is the language miracle. Uh, it's the only country in the history of the world where they've been able to revive an ancient language. Um, I'm sure glad that they never revived the ancient Latin because I took about two months of Latin in high school and I failed both times. Um, but Israel is different. Israel is the only country in the history of the world where children teach their parents their mother tongue. I don't know what you speak, but whatever you speak, you didn't learn it from other children. You learned it from adults. But in Israel, the adults learn their mother tongue, Hebrew. They learn it from their children. The children bring it home. And then there's a sociological miracle. Uh, this has never happened before. But you know, there are Jews now in Israel from 120 countries of the world, as God has called them from all of the nations of the world and brought them there uh, from South Africa and from Yemen, from Canada, United States, from, uh, from all of 120 countries of the world and brought them back. Then there is also the agricultural and, uh, miracle. Uh, there are only five countries in the world that produce enough food for their population. United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and little tiny Israel. And next time you go to the supermarket and you get in the um, exotic foods, you might look down and see some, uh, some food there that you could buy and then say product of sunny Israel. My wife and I were going to the North Cape, way up in Norway, and we got off the ship and walked into the little town, and there were oranges that said Jaffa oranges. Even in Saudi Arabia, there are clothes that are made in Israel. They don't have that. They have a sign that are made in Italy, but they're actually made in Israel. And then there is, the agri there is the agricultural miracle, and there is also the military miracle. Their strategy has always been the same. Uh, they've always been outnumbered by their enemies, outnumbered in the days of David. He only had 28 mighty men, but they were all men. Uh, outnumbered in the days of uh, Gideon, outnumbered in the days of David Ben-Gurion, and uh, in the, before the 67 war, in the 56 war, um, the head of Russia sent word and said, Pull your troops back or I'll send my volunteers. Ben-Gurion said, send your volunteers. We'll take care of them too. But um, their strategy has always been to hit first and hit hard and talk about it later. But pray for our friends who are over there in Israel. I can tell you one thing. They will come home reading a new Bible, reading a new newspaper, reading new, a new Time and Newsweek magazine. Um, you can't separate the land from the book. So I'm grateful that they're over there, and, of course, they couldn't be with anybody any better than your pastor. So pray for them, and uh, I hope that sometime you'll be able to go over there and see that land. And um, thank you so much for allowing me to come. I think I'll be here on Thursday night if I live that long, and uh, the river doesn't rise. But uh, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. And I wonder if we might stand and uh, have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you ever called us to yourself when we were far off and not even a people and enemies of God.
and enemies of the things of God. But now you've given us a desire for your son and desire for your word. We pray for Skip and those traveling with him in your land. And we pray that you will keep them, keep them in spirit, soul, and body. Keep them from illness. And we pray that you will open their eyes that they may see not only things, but see the one who is here and made that land to be precious. Now we commend ourselves to you. And as we prayed before, if our days are few or if they're longer, may your grace continue to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.